The reading is from John chapter 15, beginning with verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Brothers and sisters, chosen by God, grace and peace are yours in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, this morning, we have that John 15 passage before us, and what it means to know that Jesus commands us to love one another. And that's a simple command that Jesus gives, and yet it's one that's incredibly difficult for us to live out, especially in this broken world in which we live. When we think about being called to love others, it means first and foremost following the commands um, which Jesus has. And that command in particular is the command to love our neighbor, right? As Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. As he says in the reading today, love one another. You can think of other Bible passages right, that speak those same words of truth to us about loving one another in the name of Jesus. Um, but whenever you find a, a passage like this that's so familiar, you, you probably already have in your mind the way and the path that this sermon's going to take, and I promise I won't disappoint you. I'm going to start by defining love, all right? What is love? Well, the Bible says that love is first and foremost, or I say in one regard, it is a feeling. Yes, the Bible does speak about love as a feeling or an emotion, right? The, the, the feeling that you have when you, when you met your significant other, right? When you met the person, maybe who became your husband or your wife. When you, when you met your first child, right? When you had that child in your hand, maybe your first grandchild. Maybe it was that good friend of yours. It's that kind of fellow feeling. The Bible talks about that and tells us that that feeling is good. That type of love, the one that we describe as liking, right? I like my friend, Right? That's a good kind of love. But the Bible doesn't only speak of love as a feeling or an emotion. The Bible also speaks about love as a choice. That you make a decision to do things for somebody else. That you make a decision to behave, to live a certain way which is different than the world would live. Right? The Bible talks about that kind of love. I could, I could give you these in other, or I could give you these words, excuse me, in foreign languages, but the truth is English will suffice. Right? And we see those differences all around us in the type of love that is a feeling and the love that is a choice. And as we get deeper into that love that's a choice, you realize that this is the kind that's commanded by God. Right? The feeling part, the feeling kind of love, is not the love that's commanded. Did you hear that? The feeling type of love is not the love that's commanded in the Bible. It's the choice kind of love that is commanded. Right? And you maybe have even lived out this theological principle in your life when you said to somebody, I don't like you very much, but I love you. Right? The feeling kind isn't the commanded kind. It's the choice. And so again, you have to push a little farther, dig a little bit deeper into what that means. When we start to think about this love that is choice, that's commanded by God, we could turn to its definition in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Right? 1 Corinthians 13 is the love verse that's typically read at weddings, even though on the surface it has nothing to do with wedded love. 
right? It actually has to do with this love as a choice. It's the passage that says that love is patient and kind, that love is gentle, that love is not self-seeking, that love keeps no record of wrongs but rejoices in the truth, the love that says never per- it always perseveres, it always trusts, it always endures, that kind of love. And those wonderful words, those words of 1 Corinthians 13 that define love for us just lead us to that question, right? Don't you want to be loved this way? Because we see so much of the opposite. But when you see those words of a love that encourages and strengthens, of a love that rejoices, of a love that's not easily angered, it's a love that we want to experience. And the truth is, that's the love that we are commanded to show. But then we might go to the second part, right? And we might say, all right, well, what's the definition of the one that we're supposed to love? Who's this other? Who is this neighbor? Who's this one that God gives me to love? Well, to define neighbor, again, we turn to the scriptures. And the way we typically define it, the Bible also knows, it, it's defining neighbor based on proximity, right? It's the person who lives next door to you, the person on the other side of the fence. Right? It was Robert Frost who said, good fences make good neighbors, Right? And so you say, well, that's my neighbor. But the Bible also speaks about a neighbor as one with whom we have a relationship. It's less about a shared address. It's less about the person who lives on the other side of that fence, and it's more about the one that God has called us to. And you might recall that, that someone came up to Jesus one day in the Gospel of Luke and asked him to define who his neighbor was. He started with that beginning part, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and the man, seeking to justify himself, said, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds by telling what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right, of a man who was left bloodied and beaten, left on the side of the road, and the two people who should have cared, the two people who should have chosen to love that guy, instead passed by on the other side of the street. And the one who should have, by rights, by earthly rights, just kicked dirt in his face and pointed his finger and laughed and walked the other way and said that was the one who demonstrated love, who chose to love. Nursing him back to health, even taking him to the point of great self-sacrifice, of allowing him into the care of somebody else and saying to that person, restore him fully to health and when it's done, I will repay you out of my own accounts. And then Jesus asked that question, which one was a neighbor? And we might look at that, and we might say both of them, because God had called them into that moment, into that relationship with one another, a relationship which the world would not foster, but the relationship which in God was commanded, that relationship which empowered and emboldened and strengthened, did all those First Corinthians things. Who was the neighbor? It was the ones who otherwise wouldn't have been had God not intervened. Jesus says, this is my command. Love one another. Love one another in this way. But as soon as we start to hear that and we reflect on this loving your neighbor and loving one another, our minds start to race, right? And we start to feel like there's this dark cloud hanging over us because these words start to badger us because in our minds we run through people, neighbors that we haven't loved. And so it starts to feel a little like this. And when that cloud is hanging over our heads and we feel badgered by these words, love one another, we start to approach the scriptures like, like a defense lawyer. We're looking for loopholes, right? Surely there's got to be a loophole here somewhere, God, 
surely there's got to be some fancy tricks we can do with words. It never goes well when we approach the Bible like a defense lawyer. And what we realize is that even in the definition, there's not wiggle room. That Jesus is giving us a fairly straightforward command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The truth is, we have to keep those two in balance. We have to have both because they're inextricably bound. You see, there are some who will say, well, I love God. Isn't that good enough? I love God, and who cares about my neighbor? I love God, but I neglect my neighbor. And isn't that good enough? I mean, after all, God is, is God. He's the Lord of the universe, and so I dedicate my all to him, but it's not enough. You see, we can't love God without also loving our neighbor because it is God himself who links those two together. And if we were just to love God and to neglect our neighbor, then we'd find ourselves in that selfish pattern of willful neglect, of not recognizing that our God does love the world, that our God has come to do something in restoration for the world and that we are part of that. And so we can't turn a blind eye to its brokenness. But that as his followers, we are called to speak up for those who have no voice, that as his followers, we are called to be ones who seek situations in which we can stand for others and that we can encourage one another and that in so doing, we fulfill this command. We can't just love God and ignore our neighbors. But the opposite is also true. We can't just love our neighbors and neglect our God because that's social justice. It's not enough, enough for us just to walk a path where we say, I'm righting the wrongs of the world and I'm making this place as good as I can. That's not all that we're called to do. We can't neglect the word of God in order to somehow say that we're loving our neighbor. In fact, these two things are inextricably bound. We can't love God without loving our neighbor and we can't love our neighbor without loving God. And if this feels even more like a dark cloud over your head, then hear what I'm about to say. You can't do either without first having been loved. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you can't love your neighbor as yourself unless you have first been loved. That demonstration of love which Jesus speaks of, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. And then what does he say? I call you my friends. And the more that we find ourselves pushing away from our neighbor and not wanting to love him, the more that we find ourselves falling off the horse and trying to find our own way and trying to be a defense lawyer in the scriptures, the more we realize that we are not placing ourselves in that position where God's love is the one that's feeding us. The more we begin to realize that we are viewing God as someone who's just waiting for us to trip up on one iota of the law so he can smash us down. That's not the God of the scriptures. You see, what the scriptures teach us is about a Jesus who is willing to set aside the glory that was rightfully his in order that he might humble himself to the point of death on a cross for us, to bring us forgiveness of sins. That as we live in that forgiveness, we realize what God has done. It's what John writes about in 1 John chapter 4 when he says, we love because he first loved us. Our old hymnal, which is the blue one, the maroon hymnal this week turned 10 years old. So I have to start calling the blue one the old hymnal. 
but in the front, it has a service of individual confession and absolution. And I love the words in the confession. They say this, I have not let his love, that's Jesus' love, I have not let his love have its way with me, and so my love for others has faltered. I've not let Jesus' love have its way with me, and so my love for others has faltered. It's the love of Jesus in us that kindles in us a love for others. It's a love of Jesus in us that only fulfills the commandment, right? Because Jesus never commands what he doesn't also empower. And his love empowers us to fulfill these words, to live them out in love for our neighbor. You see, we don't have to search for wiggle room. Because the truth is, when Jesus says, love one another, what Jesus means is love one another. And that is given to us by our God is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But it's always to do it in light of the love that's been shown to us. And as we realize that we are loved and forgiven, that we can then demonstrate that love to other people. Bear with me. I want to illustrate this with two different people. One's a guy named Ray, and the other guy's name is Wally. And they were friends, but they lived out their love for others in a kind of different way. Uh, These two were both members of the congregation that I served in Arizona. Ray, when I met him, was just about 80 years old. And Ray was that kind of person that you describe as never never knew a stranger. He could have a conversation with anybody. He had been a small business owner in Chicago, and he was one who had this gift that he could speak to anyone of any generation. And when you talked to him, you felt like you were important, right? Because he would engage you. He was with you in the conversation. And Ray used that kind of gift and ability. He was, we had a board of elders. He was our head elder. And and it was just as common to see Ray talking to some of his peers, fellow 80-somethings, as it was to see Ray talking with a 16-year-old from the youth group. And you want a beautiful picture of the church, by the way? It's a conversation of a 79-year-old man and a 16-year-old kid, and neither one of them being bored with the conversation. But Ray reached out to the youth of the congregation so that they knew that they had someone who was was there for them, someone who would encourage them, someone who would walk with them. And there was one girl in particular, and she fit that mold of, of being somewhat unlikable at times. She was from a rough and broken, a rough and broken home. And she used to push buttons deliberately because she knew that people would have to react. And so one day she came uh, to Acolyte. She got there like three minutes before worship, and she had the most inappropriate thing written on her shirt. And so she comes walking up to me, and I just looked at her, and I said, Ash, you know, you know that I can't let you Acolyte today wearing that shirt. And so she right away started to break into the why, because of all the judgmental people that are here. And I looked at her, and I said, you know it's more than that. And then Ray came over. And Ray said, Pastor, you go do the church thing. I'll take care of Ashley. And so the two of them had a conversation, and I know what they said because Ashley was the one who told me. She said, he said, Ashley, you knew when you put that shirt on what position you were putting Pastor Scott in. And she admitted it. And he said, look, Ashley, the people who are here, they want to care for you. I I want to care for you, and I love you. And I love you in Jesus. But you also know that God wants you to grow. And in having that conversation with her and encouraging her in that way, the reason I know what they said was because Ashley came up after worship and she apologized. And she admitted, yeah, I knew what I was doing when I put this shirt on today. 
And I'm sorry that I called everybody else judgmental when I was the one judging them. You see, Ray had developed a relationship with her, a relationship that told her that she was safe, that told her what other adults in her life weren't telling her, that he, she could trust him and that he would radiate the love of Jesus to her, that he would speak words of forgiveness, but also that God wanted her to grow, wanted her to be encouraged as she grew forward. There's another guy named Wally. Wally was in his middle 80s when I met him, and the toughest old bird that I've ever known. This guy had the marine tattoo on his forearm from serving in World War II, and he was in his middle 80s when I knew him, and I'm telling you, I would not mess with the guy. But there was also something that was peculiar about him. Wally always wore an earring to church. And so one day after I got to know him a little bit, I just sat, sat next to him. I said, so Wally, what's the story with the earring? And he looked at me and said, well, I'll tell you. He said, a few years ago, there was a kid who started coming to church, and he was kind of a rough kid. And this boy had both of his ears pierced. And I was standing out and talking with people while we were drinking coffee. And the conversation around that circle wasn't, isn't it great that this kid's coming? It was, what about his earrings? And all they were doing was making fun of him. And he, decided, he said, I decided, I decided that I wasn't going to be part of that gossip, so I went and got myself an earring. And he said, and I decided that if they were going to go after him, they needed to come after me. The other thing that I learned, by the way, was that the earring was just a magnet. <laughs> he couldn't bring himself to actually pierce his ear. And he only wore it to church. And he wore it to stand in the gap. To stand up for a kid who didn't have somebody to stand up for him. And in so doing, to demonstrate that love for his neighbor. Because at one point, he had been a rough kid in church. And the love of Jesus had transformed him and enabled him to live for others. That's a demonstration of loving one another. It's the demonstration of, of letting God's love have its way with us so our love for others doesn't falter. It's that demonstration that Mr. Rogers so aptly showed us for so many years, right? When he told us that we were his loved neighbors. And as we felt that, our day was just a little bit brighter. As we let God's love have its way with us, our love for others shines. Not the love that we somehow foster in us or love that's a feeling. It enables us to get past the feeling and to love those who are even unlikable. It enables us to make that choice kind of love that says, as I want to be loved, as I am loved by the one who laid down his life for me, so I also will love others. Not just the person on the other side of the fence, but anyone that God has given me to be in a relationship with. And that's what it means, to, as John 15 says, to abide in the love of Jesus. To abide in that love. To let it surround and enfold us. To let that be the thing that motivates us as we live forward for Jesus. And as that love completes and surrounds us, then we have the opportunity to fulfill the command of Jesus. Having first been loved, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. For the glory of Jesus and for the good of all. Amen.